and we are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraub. I hope you're good, Seth, today because we have a huge podcast to do. I think we have like 20 stories lined up. You're ready for it? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, but before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor for this week's episode, SAE International. Join the global mobility community in Detroit uh, from April 18th to the 20th for WCX, the largest technical mobility event in North America. You can register now. We have a link in the show notes if you want to jump on that right away. But we're going to have a little bit more to say about them later on on the show. All right. So uh, obviously, it's uh, it's going to be a Tesla-heavy episode because of the Investor Day. and uh, Actually, Investor Day, but there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on too at the same time. So uh, Tesla-heavy stuff at first, but a bunch of other interesting news at the end too that's not Tesla-related, so stay tuned for that. But uh, let's jump in right away uh, with a focus on Tesla Investor Day to start with. So... Elon himself said it, like the biggest news, if you want to focus like on what's actual news out of uh, Investor Day, was the announcement of Gigafactory Mexico. Uh, not super exciting, obviously, because we already knew it was pretty much a done deal uh, a few days ahead of it. Uh, but yeah, now it's official, it's official and a few more details about it. Uh, it is going to be just outside of Monterey. So it's, it's, it is going to be in uh, Nuevo uh, Leon where Tesla already had a deal to have like the quicker border, um, going through the border faster and all that. So it's going to be there. It's going to be on a huge piece of land. Actually, we're, like we've been, when Tesla bought uh, the land for Gigaferry, Texas, we were impressed by just how large it was. And um, uh, now it's going to be twice that size for Gigaferry, Mexico. So that doesn't mean that Tesla's going to use all of it, obviously. But, uh, uh, and this is the render for the factory we were looking at right now. It's hard to tell from, from the render just how big it is. It, it, it looks pretty huge. It looks as big as Texas, the upper Texas, if not bigger. Other than that, not too many details. Let's just say that it's going to use the factory to manufacture the next-gen vehicles. So uh, we're going to get to do that a little bit based on the presentation at the Investor Day. The next-gen vehicle platform wasn't discussed in, like, it wasn't, as clear as the previous platform that Tesla released. It's more like a few additional incremental manufacturing and design improvements that put together makes sort of a new way to produce a car. Um, and they're going to use that to produce new vehicles, including one that's going to be given for Texas. Obviously, a lot of people are talking Model 2 or $25,000 Tesla vehicle. Uh, it... It looks like this new model, this new cheaper model, is going to be produced in Mexico for the American market and in Shanghai for the rest of the world. So that's where we're looking at. That. That's how we see it right now. And also part of that Investor Day event, uh, Tom Zhu, the, who's now basically the, the head of manufacturing and automotive at Tesla, made it clear that they are sort of uh, finalizing this this gigafactory group where gigafactory is seen as a product in itself and and, and they just going to deploy that same product to new market and of course zoo is, is known for uh, the leader of gigafactory shanghai which is by far the most su successful gigafactory that tesla has deployed yet so he said that this they're going to try to like just replicate that everywhere now based on the same team 
basically. And uh, he wants to achieve the same goal as Shanghai or even beat it, which is uh, from breaking ground to production in nine months. We'll see about that. But they did it in Shanghai. so. And I would have to yeah, assume that, that... Yeah, go ahead, Seth. No, it, 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 they know how to do it. They have yeah. the, uh, the expertise. Um, and Mexico d isn't known for like... You know, red tapes. Oh, red tape or anything. So... Yeah. Uh, and I would have to assume doable. that that was part of the deal too. Like that's what they right. were negotiating for so long. Like they were like, all right, you're going to let us like just swim through that easily. Right. I mean, they, they put a Tesla lane on the border. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good sign. <laughs> that's a, that's a good sign. Yes. Yeah. Very good. sign. All right. So, so I actually doubt like the, Elon himself said that was the biggest announcement on investor day, but that was, he made that kind of like at the end, just before the Q&A session, the core of the, the way that they launched the Investor Day was like, and the team of Investor Day really, based on what Elon said, is that this event is about hope and optimism that is based on physics. Hurt will move to a sustainable energy economy and it will do so in your lifetime. So that was kind of like the message you wanted to get across is like, we can do this. We can move the, the world to a sustainable energy economy. And then they actually like did the maths to prove that. Um, they haven't released them online. Well, maybe they just did. I just got an email actually that I need to look at. But uh, they're the supposed paper? to, yeah, some kind of white paper where we can actually see the details because now they focus more on like the result. But to be honest, like I, there's not much to doubt here. There's doubts about like just how feasible it is, but the math adds up. Like uh, so. That's the base math here, basically. Like 240 terawatt hour of uh, storage, 30 terawatt of renewable power. Um, that would require an energy investment of $10 trillion. It's, so so the, these are the things that uh, people are like, yeah, really? Because, okay. of course, Tesla is extremely efficient in terms of capital expenditure. So maybe they, they base themselves on that. But Tesla is not going to be the one doing that $10 trillion by, by themselves. Uh, half the energy required. That I thought that was a good point, and I knew about this, but I, like, it wasn't obvious to me. So I, I like that they pointed out uh, the land area require less than zero point two percent of the world. That's also like an, I don't think that many people think that's a problem. Ten percent of the twenty twenty two world GDP. Also interesting, mm -hmm. and no actual surmountable problem in terms of resources, which I also agree with on that. Um, so yeah, the, the biggest the, the biggest point to start with that was really interesting is like you actually need less overall capacity if you're just more efficient with it, and electrification is more efficient with that capacity. Uh, so they compare like if you just use the current primary energy consumption from fossil fuels, you need about half of that if you go electric, just because you don't have all that heat loss, right? Um, which I think is main. Yeah, I don't think the public really understands that completely. And I don't think maybe that they'll understand that after this presentation either. But uh, it's, yeah. a, it's an important thing to kind of know and, and get out there. It does put things in perspective in terms of like feasibility. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like and especially since you can charge any time of day and you can kind of put energy back into the grid. It kind of seems like a better situation. The other thing that I thought was pretty interesting from this part of the presentation was that um, you know, mining the materials, uh, you know, lithium, nickel, whatever, iron, uh, 
is actually less mining than, you know, all the mining for coal and, and uh, oil and all the other stuff. So like going to a sustainable economy, you're actually reducing the amount of mining out there. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know exactly how that works, but that's an interesting vector to kind of contemplate. And, but like and you said, it's, it's coal and then, and, and coal and then you, you add a, like mining for oil, just a petroleum, like the, the, the brute petroleum, that's also extraction. It's resource right. extraction from, from the earth. So, uh, yeah, I also, that's one of the things also I wasn't, I never heard phrase like that, but it makes it on a sense when you think about it, like add coal mining, add, uh, petroleum extraction and yeah then it, it has to be more than extracting especially once you start to factor in the recycling of those uh, battery uh, metals right like i mean you, um, the battery you're using you know you're extracting from the earth once and you're using hundreds of times thousands of times maybe versus oil which every single time you need to refill you got to go back yeah it's it's completely different business model basically uh, and it's that's the thing, though. It's it's less attractive. Like there's there's something very attractive from a business standpoint of like let me sell something that people just burn and then are completely addicted to it and burn all the time, and I just have to just give them more because they burn it. Uh, while you talk about the battery and it's rechargeable and then it's recyclable and all that, like ah, eh, I mean, if I sell them one battery, they could like just use it for the rest of their life. Like it's not it's not as attractive from a business standpoint. But we need to do it. So let's just do it. <laughs> um, yep. Also some encouraging stuff of like we're, we're getting there, like in terms of solar and wind deployment, like it's just a 3x increase in, in deployment that we need. And then we just need to keep going like that. A little bit more in terms of the vehicle and battery production, all that. That's 29x. That's a little bit less encouraging. 11x on actual vehicle production. Also not like out of... Like it doesn't sound impossible right now. Just eleven X. Like we were at, we were at one percent just like a few years ago. Now we're like eight, right? So, uh, not eight it's in the millions. I think yeah, it's in the millions. But it's basically that. Like we're basically at like ten percent of vehicle production. Which like that's also when you, when you put it in perspective and you go worldwide at ten percent. Uh, Everyone that's under the ten percent mark right now, like you should be concerned, like you're, you're falling behind, and I think the U.S. is one of them. So. Yeah. So let's wake up. So yeah, that was like the beginning of the presentation, basically. Like that's what you want to do, and then how does Tesla gets there? And obviously, like all right, new Gigafactory is part of that. A, a lot, a lot more Gigafactories are going to be following, and I think there's going to be more announcements soon. But then there was this here. Let's switch to this video here. Um, it's it, it was the core, I guess, of the new vehicle platform. So a lot of people were disappointed in the event in the sense that they, they thought like um, Tesla didn't go into too many details. Like they didn't unveil like this is the new vehicle platform and these are going to be the new vehicle on it. But um, it's still significant. Uh, it's still significant. So here Tesla basically shows uh, a cool way of like how they're assembling vehicles right now and that's how they are assembling vehicles right now not the industry like you, you a lot of people would argue that that's already ahead of most of the industry right now the way that they assemble the vehicle even though the the core logic behind it is still very similar to the rest of the industry but yeah the problem like okay like you have to put the interior in like that you have to put the all the panels um 
on the, the vehicle, paint it, remove some of the panels, then you merge it with the powertrain. That's what happened right now. Then you put in the seats and the center console, all that. Finally, you bring back the panels and the, and the glass, and then you have a vehicle. So this whole flow, Tesla wants to do it differently. And let me just speed up to the next one here. So they, sh they showed also like some improvement that we already knew about. Like they install now the seats directly on the battery pack. And that's enabled them to save a step. And, and when they merge the battery pack with the body, like we see right now, uh, it's, it saves a lot of time. So that's already implemented in the structural battery pack. Uh, Model Y that's produced in Gigafreak, Texas. Not, not all Tesla vehicles have this, but this is already an improvement. Um, but now they want to bring that to a new, a new level, a whole new level. So it's that's going to be the next generation vehicle, basically. Um, so yeah, this is just a representation of like how you can get more people to work on the car at the same time uh, than if you, by, by working like piece by piece and, and then bringing them together. But let me show you the other things I want. Okay, so this is the workflow difference here. Um, so the parallel and serial assembly uh, that you, you basically bring the car together all at once into the assembly line from the stamping paint and casting. You can see what it looks like uh, right here, like this. If they call it the unbox process, that's what they call it. So you can see the stamping on the top basically going to be the body of the vehicle and then some work is done on each of the pieces simultaneously in all the stations so more people working at the car at the same time instead of having to move the car around throughout the process all of this is done simultaneously and then boom you have the vehicle assembly where you bring all these parts together at the same time you see the front of the car and the back of the car is interesting here too like you never see that yeah. before and then, you, of course, you don't have a full car, but then when you bring the battery pack in, since it's structural, you just complete the body of the car just like that. It is, it, it is significant. I know a lot of, not a lot of people were excited about this. Uh, some people in the industry were. Like, there was a lot of uh, analysts that actually like, uh, they, they praised Tesla for it. Uh, I, I understand it's not what a lot of people expected. Like we would, we'd have liked to see a car on this. And obviously Tesla is showing it with the Model Y here, a car that already is in the lineup. So that's not as exciting. But you can see, you can, you can see where Tesla is going with this. I don't know. What, what, what did you think? So were you a little bit excited? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly was interesting. Um, I don't know, like, like if you're trying to build a car as fast as possible, this seems like it would be beneficial. But like you're just, if you're just, building cars like thousands at a time you know there's there's like you know I, I went to school for systems engineering and and we did all kinds of like <laughs> equations that I totally forget but like there was there was like you know this we had studied the assembly line and you know Deming and and Toyota's improvements and I, like it doesn't seem like this would actually help uh, as long as everybody's busy and everybody's doing work and things are moving along like i don't know that this would help but i guess like if it's a shorter process and and they can get cars together you know with fewer with less amount of work i guess it would make sense and each car would take less time to make i mean that that obviously would be better but um i guess you know we'll see we'll see when the when the numbers come out and you know is this going to be part of the the new model y or is this going to be something we're going to see for the model two or 
or whatever they're going to call that smaller car. Well, I, I think you need to deploy a brand new production line for it. So, so it would be whatever next production line need do, which right now I would have to assume it would be, um, yeah, it would be the next generation car. But at the same time, like uh, Gigafactory Texas with the Model Y and Berlin are, are reaching close to like 5,000 units a week, which is pretty much what they wanted it to be at. So then they're going to have to deploy new lines there too for a lot of people tell Model 3 would be next, but I don't know if it's going to be like a new vehicle or, or something. So what, any kind of new production line is going to come. But yeah, there's definitely an advantage if, if you are, if it's you're spending less time per car, huge advantage there. Also, if the car moves less within the uh, the factory, that's also an advantage. Um, and, and also vo less volume per factory, less capital expenditure to deploy the vehicle production. There are a lot of advantages. Um, but yeah, just is it is it really what's going to push Tesla to like that fifty percent uh, cost reduction again? I, I think it's part of it, but I don't think it's going to be it completely. I think we're going to see some improvement in terms of uh, supply chain, material, cost, and, and all that. But uh, but that was also part of the presentation, to be fair. So that's not I'm not saying that this this is the only thing that uh, Tesla was uh, unveiling this week. But it was it was the, the one of the main thing. Uh, one thing that we find interesting too is Tesla discussed their new uh, electric motors that they're going to produce that's going to not require any um, rare earth metals, which is a known as a problematic element, really. And um, it, Tesla used to do that actually before uh, with their earliest uh, version of the motors. So now um, they sort of reintroduced it. Though to be fair, there was a small amount of rare elements in tesla motors now they're gonna now they're gonna go to zero as far as i understand it uh yeah that's yeah and that's that's for the magnets right that mm -hmm. yeah the permanent magnet motors they do require some amount so of that's rare that's going to mean that tesla is less reliant on china because china kind of runs the rare earth minerals thing completely so that's dominates gonna be, it, yeah. yeah so that's gonna be good uh for you know not having to bow to china's whims yeah i mean you saw like a bunch of stocks from from air rare metals uh companies like just plunge after that but let's be honest like this it's still gonna be plenty of use like it's basically in all yeah. electronics that you use out there and everything it's not it's and already tesla wasn't like the biggest user of it so uh, i didn't it, it's cool that tesla is doing that and probably more uh companies should go in the same direction but i didn't see it like as that big of a of a deal to be honest uh, a lot of charging stuff that was fun. Uh, one that was the most surprising of all, probably, is a wireless home charging station was teased, and a lot of people missed it because um, it was the first time I, I've seen her, uh, Rebecca Tunici. She's the uh, head of global charging infrastructure at Tesla. She did a very good presentation about supercharging and uh, destination yeah, charger and all that. It was refreshing to see uh, a woman uh yeah in a tesla presentation yeah when there was a lineup at the end they were all together there was just two women on the lineup that was i mean obviously women are underrepresented in tech and they also underrepresented in automotive and tesla is a tech automotive company so it's a yep. bit understanding but we like to see uh some female leaders out there and she did a very good presentation and at the end she had kind of a one more thing moment i mean she literally said one more thing uh and uh, like uh, a la steve job yep but everyone focused on this image here, which is the Tesla Diner, which we know is coming. It's an undergoing project in, in Los Angeles where Tesla wants to do a supercharger station 
with a diner, with a retro style diner that has a movie screen and shows like some famous movies. So you can just stop there, charge, grab a bite to eat and watch the movies. Very cool project. We know it's on their way, which is why it makes the other image interesting, even though a lot of people missed it. Uh, the other image shows a Tesla, like a large Tesla wall connector, but it doesn't seem to be connected directly to the Tesla vehicle, but there's a pad underneath right there. So I don't know what else it could be other than a wireless home charging station. I, I don't yeah, think I mean, it's a big leap, right? Yeah, and we've we've seen some uh, third-party wireless solutions that look similar to this. So uh, it would be, it, it seems like that's what, what they're aiming towards. You know, some people have said, well, this is the bi-directional, uh, and th- maybe it is, but I think more more likely this is a wireless option which you know i'm i'm kind of torn on because you know there's a lot of loss of energy and and it's not hard to plug in frankly um and and the the current wireless or the i don't know if they're called wireless or just inductive charging but you know you lose 30% of the power or something like that then it's really not uh, apparently the latest the latest technology is not that inefficient like i i need to see some proof but I, I after writing that article i got like two or three companies that reached out to me it's like hey we're just as efficient as cables doesn't make that hmm. much sense to me either but I, i've heard of some induction technology reaching like 92 93 which is pretty close to what a cable get because like, there's there's oh, some loss well, that... in the cable too um, and i'm sure tesla is up to up to speed with the most recent yeah. stuff so well, that's because that's, that, 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 that's a bigger deal. Obviously, if it's not as efficient, then why are we doing it? Because, like you said, you're not solving a big problem here. Like right. plugging in your car is not that big of an issue. It takes you a second. I've I know, of course, hundreds of uh, EV owners, and I've never I've probably I think I've heard it once or twice. Like, oh shit, I forgot to plug in my car. Like, it doesn't happen that often. Right. Uh, it probably happens less than people are like, oh, I forgot to go get some gas, and now I'm low on gas. Like, yeah, so, I mean. The bi- the big thing though is like uh, autonomous vehicles. Like if you know Tesla ever gets this robo taxi thing going, they uh, they they don't want to have to deal with that snake charger thing. That seems a little. Uh, yeah, janky. well, that, that that's the thing. So definitely, because of self driving, it is a bigger problem to solve. You have to solve for the issue of like how do you charge if there's no human to plug it in. But that's the thing. Like you said, Tesla seemed to be going against wireless charging on that front and go with a robot arm. Um, but now that might be a change of uh, um, change. I haven't of seen the robot arm in a while. We we haven't seen it in a while. Though Elon said it was still in the plan uh, two years ago. Uh, but I, I, I'm not familiar on that front. But I know there's some inductive technology for DC. Is it is it is it the power output? I mean, I guess if you're not lose, if you can keep the same efficiency, the power output doesn't make a big difference. I guess. Yeah. And uh, Sylvian also mentions that it would be beneficial when snow and freezing rain were part of the equation, which uh, we here in northern U.S., northeastern U.S. and Canada know uh, pretty well. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of blanking right now. Why would it be what it would be better than plugging in? Well, just just you don't have to, like, get a frozen charger, a frozen you know, oh, yeah. charge cord yeah. be underneath yeah. the car. Yeah, Wasn't but... There, there, there are also some disadvantages, though, because like you have like 
putting that pad in, in that concrete floor, like it doesn't have to be necessarily cheap. And, and right. then you have to have it on your car too. And then compatibility right. too. Like we just, Tesla just make a big push of like, let's be compatible with everyone. Like the CCS magic dock or like, or whatever makes our property charger, the new North American standard. Now, okay. Now if we go wireless, then, Okay, is everyone's gonna have the wireless pad, the wireless charger inside the car that can match every pad and all that? Like, I don't know. Yep, it's all all up in the air at the moment. Yeah, but still, it was very interesting to see Tesla uh, tease that because I, I, mm -hmm. I would have to assume that it was coming since they showed that at the same time as you saw the diner, and we know the diner is coming. All right, yeah. another big thing on charging that was not part of the charging presentation, though, so a little bit more vague. It was a question, and of course, it's a question that often comes up when it comes to Tesla, especially lately as other automakers have gone all in on bidirectional charging. Tesla was asked about it again, and um, Drew Baglino, Tesla's uh, VP of uh, Power Engineering, said that within the next two years, they are integrating bidirectional charging in all Tesla vehicles. So within the next two years, all Tesla vehicles will have the capacity for bidirectional charging. So now he said that, and then at the same time, Elon said, I don't think very many people are going to want to use bidirectional charging unless you have a power wall, because if you unplug your car, your house go, goes dark, and this is extremely inconvenient. So right, right after, Beglino is like, yeah, we'll do it. Within two years, we'll have it. Elon, right next to, <laughs> sitting right next to him, was like, yeah, no one's going to want to use that. Um, yeah, I, I don't get that, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I've heard Elon say that, or poo-poo, uh, bi-directional charging quite a bit. And part of me is like, well, he doesn't want to kill his power wall business, but I feel like both of those can exist together. Um, you know, you can have a power wall that kind of keeps things going while your car is not there. And then, you know, you have basically like five or six or more power walls worth of a battery in your car that's just sitting there. Like, why not, you know, make that part of the backup solution? And it's just a couple pieces of electronics that and some software that you need. It, like most of the expensive stuff is already there. So um, I don't get why Elon is so down on charging. I remember last time they talked about it, um, it was he mentioned that, well, you know, the Roadster had the ability to do something like that and nobody took advantage of that. But the Roadster was a different animal, different, you know, world we lived in. So, yeah. I mean, I get what you just like. I I think that like some people were confused because like you know said that and Elon said that so like are they just not in agreement? Is this happening or not happening? I think it's it's happening. It's just that um, like you said, they are doing it in the car because you can do it fairly easy. It's not a big thing to add to the car. Then it's more about the integration to the house that's a bigger deal. But if mm -hmm. if the car can do it, is compatible with any system, then. Uh, you just you just increase the value of the car by doing that. But Elon did have something, though, where he said that bidirectional charging would be very useful combined with a power wall where you have a power wall for your day-to-day -day, uh, use of a um, time of use uh, schedule with, with your utility or using your solar at night and all that. And then as a short-term use for a power outage, and then you can plug your car into that and if you have an extended power outage, then you could run your whole house with the power wall plus then the car if you have to. Uh, to be honest, I do think this is like probably the optimal use of 
bidirectional charging because you don't want to use your car too much either. You don't want to use your car as a time of use. Yep. Uh, that that's never going to work. You can use it as backup power because that's relatively infrequent depending on where you live. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I've been in Mexico for the last three weeks. It's a little bit more frequent here. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't want my car to have to back up my house all the time if I want to my car long-term to, to have a good battery pack. But yeah, this is the optimal use. And then like you said, you don't want to cannibalize the Powerwall business. If you just can combine the two, that would be good business too. Yeah, but I mean, I have to say like just just having the ability to plug your car into your, you know, your house into your car like that alone, you know, you're basically mimicking what a generator does and people pay $10,000 for generators. Uh, and you're, you know, you have enough batteries in most EVs to power your house for days. So to me, it's like, there's a lot of value, like, you know, $10,000 worth of value in putting a bi-directional and, you know, a little bit of hardware and software and, you know, you're getting $10,000 more out of your car, which is basically paying for the battery. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're, you're getting it. You're, like, you're right if you compare the value to, like, a battery bank. But uh, obviously, you, you, I, even if you buy the car with that intention, I don't think most people are going to use it like that that much. It, it, you're, it's true that it has the capacity, but we'll see. What, what I would be... Re- why I would like to see Tesla being excited about this is I would like to see Tesla integration into the home uh, electrical system because Tesla yep. is famously very good at that, very good at power electronics, very good at uh, frictionless uh, integration. So, I, and we haven't seen much of that. Like, well, I still have yet to see a, the Ford Power thing, whatever. Like, the, the with yeah, that's, power. Yeah, and and I think it's with Sunrun. The Sunrunner, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really like people who have gotten those, you know, trying to get those installed have reported to us anecdotally that they're not working fantastically. So a lot of work to get that, you know, it will get there. It's just, uh, Mm -hmm. it's still early in in its infancy right now. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would like to see what Tesla does with that. Um, all right. Another thing about charging was really interesting. Tesla is going to is announced that they're about to launch, well, about to this summer, starting in Texas, unlimited overnight charging for $30 a month. Uh, this is part of Tesla Electric. So if you've been following Tesla Electric launch in December in Texas, where Tesla moved for just providing uh, virtual power plant services to actually be a full scale electric uh, retailer. So they, they have an electric plant base for them for Powerwall users. So they just sell and buy electricity um, f- and, and they do that through their own system if you have a Powerwall. Now, still in Texas, because they are regulated as an electric re- um, electricity retailer, they're going to launch a product that's not just for Powerwall user, but actually for any Tesla owner. Uh, m- maybe... Uh, Tesla owner with a wall connector that's that I'm not so sure. I don't, I don't think they really need a wall connector. Any kind of charging would be would work, I would assume. Uh, but they're going to offer, you pay $30 a month, and then when you plug in your car, they haven't said the hours just yet, but they said overnight, um, you won't have to pay for that electricity. And uh, that, That's a big deal. 30 bucks a night. It is a big deal. Especially if you're thinking about replacing your F-150 with a Cybertruck. Yeah, I mean, 
any kind of car that demands a little bit more power or a car where you drive a little bit more often like if you're just driving a few miles a day you won't you won't see a big difference because your electric bill probably you don't see that much of a difference from charging your car right now but if you're a power user and you drive a lot uh, $30 a month is, is pretty cheap and they can do that obviously because uh, demand control is the biggest thing and that, that that's the thing too that why Tesla is not super excited about their bidirectional charging is that they think that uh, instead of sending back into the grid, just controlling the load itself is the first step. And they're right about that. If you can control the load, you already have so much more um, use, usefulness in your electric grid. And if you can incentivize like this for people to just charge at night, uh, you, 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 it's controllable load. You just move the load from one place to another and you move it to a, a place where it's a lot cheaper because people are not using electricity as much. And in terms of Texas, they also have a lot of wind power and wind power also comes at night, sometimes more at night too. So you, you end up having a bunch of electric capacity at night that people are not using. So if you can incentivize them to use them for super cheap, and that's something that they're not going to do during the day. Because right now, all the people in Texas, uh, they arrive at work at 5, 6, 7 p.m., plug in their car, and the car charges right away if they're not have set it to overnight charging. And, and during that period of time, that's where there's a lot of demand on the grid. Uh, so if you can just shift a little bit of that demand later, and it's starting to be more... Like there's a lot more Tesla vehicles out there now. So it's starting to be a significant load if you can just bang them up together like that and shift them all to overnight charging. Not You can never shift them all, obviously, but a significant amount. You just, we're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of electricity. Yeah. Eventually. And, and, and the savings is like, you know, like a, a typical driver will spend 300 or more a month on gas you know, if, yeah. especially if you have a, uh, you know, F-150 type of situation and you're driving hundreds of miles a day, this is a tenth of that price. And yeah. you wake up every morning with a full full tank. Uh, it's pretty hard deal to pass up. And I'm sure a lot of people in Texas are really thinking about this. Yeah. And obviously, it's not all your charging is done in a home, but vast majority of it is. So, so. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a complete like $30 to whatever is your current consumption in, in, in fuel and in gasoline, but it's, it's, it's getting close. All right. Amid all of that, all the charging news, before the event itself, Tesla announced that they're opening the supercharger to non-Tesla EV owners. So last week, we showed you the magic dock because Tesla was installing the first station uh, in uh, New York State. Now, they have officially launched the... so that non-Tesla owners can actually show up right now to, I think it's 10 stations in the U.S., uh, most mm -hmm. of them in New York, and then I think one or two in, uh, in California, but it's going to grow pretty fast. And they show how it works, which is pretty simple. You just uh, put your Tesla account, credit card, show up to the station, choose a stall, and uh, then unplug and, and, and charge. And uh, Seth, I think you did it, so you can explain in a little bit more details. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, if you've ever had to use like an Electrify America or EVgo, it's you got an app. Uh, you get an app and you 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 uh, you know, as you said, you just pick the the stuff. The bigger problem is like, well, you know, Teslas are all alike and they have rear uh, driver side plugs. Well, you know, Chevrolet Bolt, as you see here, has a front driver side plug, so you have to pull in front ways and. 
then you are in the wrong spot for the charger because uh, so you're taking up two two uh, slots. Um, so there's a lot of things that Tesla is going to have to work out. I, you know, my my solution is like go around and install the magic dock on the end um, where you know a a a non Tesla vehicle won't be taking up extra parking slots, um, and then you know fill them in as as they go along. Um, and I think Tesla's got some new um, charger configurations where they're kind of on the side rather than, you know, at the back. Um, the version four we've, we've seen a little bit of um, has a longer cable. So that'll be better for, you know, Ford F-150s and Rivians and Porsches. So all these little things are going to matter. But um, the experience is pretty simple. Like, you know, you, you yank the thing out, you know, you, you set it up. Um, and once you hear a little click in the, uh, the supercharger, which is the magic dock engaging, and then you kind of push it in and yank it out and it, then you have a big, you know, CCS connector and you can throw that in your non-Tesla EV and it starts charging pretty much as quick. You know, it's funny. I've never fast charged this bolt, uh, until this, this point, I mean, you know, past, uh, so, and I was only getting, I think 25 kilowatts here but you know basically you wrote the story i was like hey i'm in new york let's where's the nearest one and i was like i'll just you know bust out there uh and i think i beat everybody maybe not out of spec but um i think we were the first one to post so um i thought that was kind of fun and And, i would uh, never never probably charge on a tesla (laughs) uh, charger again with the bolt but I mean, different, different use cases, different use cases. Right. Uh, was it, was there more than one charging stall there with the magic connector? Yeah. All of them had that. Uh, okay. So all like, of them. I think, I think there so was it's a br- is, they... is that a brand new supercharger station or did you just had it? Not, them? not super new. It's I think maybe like one or two years old okay. and it's a level three or sorry, a ver- version three one. Yeah. Which leads us to a next. Oh, uh, uh, it's just not a very popular place uh until this week anyway and then all the people so, from new york city came up and youtube yeah it's it. on it's on new uh, long island right no this one's uh it's in brewster which is in like northern westchester um oh, okay. it's kind of near connecticut yeah there's a there was a few in long island too i, think. I don't think there's dope. maybe not long island i think upstate new york just in upstate thank you yeah all right so that leads us to whoop, is it there yeah supercharger v4 um, Tesla is starting to deploy the first ones. One has been spotted in the Netherlands. I'm not going to try to pronounce <laughs> where it is, but you see it right there. Uh, this gentleman right here was able to spot it and uh, share the video where we cannot, it's still covered and everything, but you can see it's the supercharger V4. And you, there was one picture where you can see the inside of it here. But the main thing is you see really the size of it, just how much bigger it is than the current stall. And not that exciting in itself, though there might be a potential for like a little bit more power electronics uh, in there instead of uh, the back stall. So like the supercharger have back hands and then you have the stall and current electronic and the stalls are not much, but maybe there's a way to combine them now. But the biggest thing with the height is uh, the charging cable. So you see here a regular Tesla stall. This one is like a whole foot taller. And the way the the 
height of the cable starts at the maximum height of the stall and wraps all around the stall rather than inside the little hole that you have in the current supercharger station. And this one looks like it has the magic dock too on it. Um, so obviously, longer cable would be part of the solution of the problem that you just mentioned, which is that it's hard to reach uh, to reach the charge port on certain models. Uh, and which may, like Tesla had to know that like they, they knew that already. So I don't, I don't know what, what's the, I think it's going to be like pretty problematic to keep retrofitting a lot of these stations with those, with those magic dock. Cause we're already seeing it. Like it's been days and you already see like a bunch of people just parking and blocking two stalls. Uh, it's going to create a lot of frustration, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't even know what's the advantage of that. If they just like deploy the new V4 and these are the ones that you open up to other, I don't know. Maybe they are doing it. Like you said, it's not a very popular station that uh, that they did it at. Maybe they just saw that the usage rate was like you, you never reach more than like I don't know, 40% usage. So it's worth doing it because... If you have an untested vehicle showed up and they take two stall, it's not going to affect anything. So maybe that's what they're doing, because otherwise, I think it's going to be a whole mess. Yeah, there's there's going to be some issues, I think, but I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right, well, that was all the Tesla news. So now we're going to jump to the non-Tesla news. But before we do that, I want to just uh, share a quick word about our sponsor, ACE International. Seth, take it away. All right. This week's episode is sponsored by SAE International, host of the WCX World Congress Experience Event. For 2023, WCX is set to return to Detroit from April 18th to 20th at Huntington Place. As the largest technical mobility event in North America, WCX brings together thousands of engineers, suppliers, and mobility professionals to exchange ideas, discuss today's challenges, and build powerful relationships to move your career and the industry forward. Join the global com- mobility community in the Motor City this April to stay up to date on the latest technological advances, participate in roundtable discussions, and network with the brightest minds in the industry. Gain a competitive advantage and meet the people sharing, shaping the future of mobility. Visit wcx.sae.org to register now or hit the link in our show notes. Thank you, SAE, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Electric Podcast. All right, uh, Ford is going to restart. They have a restart date for the F-150 Lightning, March 13. So it's coming in just a few weeks. Uh, still, still a good two more weeks almost of uh, being out of production. And when did that start, the production? Because uh, it was a few was, weeks ago. Yeah, like a few weeks ago. So if not a month like ago. A, you're looking like uh, a February, f- February 4th, so a month and a half. Right, that's significant, especially yeah. for something that they can't make enough of. They can't make enough of. It was a very exciting vehicle program. Um, the, this year was supposed to be a big ramp, and, and now you remove a month and a half of it. Uh, it's gonna, it, it's it's not gonna be great. And obviously, also the issue itself with the SK cells and all that—that's a bit of a loss in confidence. But they have figured out the issue, and I mean. I think I'm very glad that like the EV programs are surviving these things like pretty easily now. Like it used to be like, oh, like there's a few fires and it's the end of the world and all that. Uh, like the bolt is the biggest example and, and the, the the recall was mishandled like, like terribly. And we had to basically like twist GM's harm into recalling that car. Um, 
but but now the bolt is back and they are ramping up production this year too so it's not like vehicle programs are surviving that so it looks like ford handled this fairly well uh it's just six weeks behind this year which is significant yep Uh, still on Ford, big win for them this week. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service announced that they're going to buy over 9,000 e-transit vans from them. So this is this has been a big story over the last few years uh, about um, uh, the U.S. Postal Service contract to electrify their fleet. They were they made this big announcement about 10% of their fleet going electric, and people just got outraged by it rightfully so i think because these are primed to be electrified just primed to and uh, instead they're like all right now we can just do 10 percent, even though they were completely um ritual not ritual fitting but they were updating the entire fleet which, is, which was an aging fleet uh, so the timing was perfect this this is the time to do it and if you if you are a fleet operator you want to go all electric it's just it makes so much sense so after a bunch of uh, basically being ridiculed for for a year or so, like I, I don't remember what is the I don't know if uh, Jamie wrote that post. I'm not sure if he's gonna put the name of the guy he hates him so much, the head of the of the U.S. Postal Service. But that guy was like basically pressured for the last two years to um, change the situation, and they finally agree in uh, December that they're gonna electrify their entire fleet by 2026. Yeah, I think DeJoy yeah. is his name. The joy, yeah. So one of the bigger contracts, one of the first early contracts is this one here. Uh, so you're going to be expecting to see some Ford e-transit as your local postal service vehicle. It's going to be a change. Those, it's, it's not... Those vehicles are perfect. Like yeah. they get 100, 120 miles of range. Ford can make tons of them. Uh, they're already making tons of them. Uh, it's just like, Duh. Like why, you know, Oshkosh, you know, needs to spin up a new design that looks like a freak show. Like you, you've seen the, the USPS Oshkosh thing. It's like got that low hood and the, the weird back and everything. Uh, I don't get it. Like, I don't know why they won the, the, uh, the bidding for this. And, you know, I don't know why Ford didn't just say, Hey, we, we build these already you can, <laughs> and they're standardized and you can, you know, get them off the shelf or whatever. Uh, so I guess this is good. I think Oshkosh probably was just like, yeah, we're, we can't do what we said we were going to do. Just go to Ford. And I think Oshkosh gets some of their drivetrains from Ford anyway. So hmm. I don't even know what Oshkosh is involved for anymore. Yeah. They were so highly to <laughs> the yeah, cars, really the ugly. trucks, whatever, whatever, whatever call them. That's really what the truck. All right. Uh, the new VW ID3 was unveiled this week. A little bit updated design. Uh, hard to get excited about it here because uh, it's not coming to the North American market. But for a few European friends that are listening to the podcast, uh, uh, you're lucky you get access to this car. It's a pretty, it's a good looking car. I agree. Also, hot hatch. Yeah, no, hot hatch too. There's not a lot of that in the segments here in the U.S. Like basically, that's why you're driving the Bolt TV. It's, right. It's that's as my close, hot hatch. Yeah, it's as close as it gets. Uh, but yeah, a little bit uh, sleeker drag coefficient. Uh, the interior has uh, gotten new materials, a lot of recycle uh, recycle materials. So I know the Volkswagen is pushing hard on that throughout the entire ID lineup, and I think the ID3, the new generation of the ID3, is kind of 
spearheading that whole program. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks like a good update to me. It's just not a massive update, but it's not like that, that car is like three years old at this point, something like that, three or four years old. Yeah, it's solid. Uh, I would have loved to see, oh, yeah, we're going to try it out in limited numbers in the U.S. and see if everybody loves it. You know, that kind of thing. That would have been. <laughs> but, but you know, you know the answer to that. <laughs> like, it's going to work. Especially, I well, so. depend, well uh, maybe not so much now if they're, yeah, because of the tax credit. They wouldn't get the tax credit. So Yeah, but VW, they sell, like, GTIs. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine having a, I don't know, I would feel like a GTI would be just demolished by this thing in terms of, yeah. like, experience. Especially so, if you know. do a dual motor version of it and you actually yeah. make it, like, a hot, hot hatch. Yep. Yeah. All right, uh, Rivian had their earnings this week, and it's kind of a mixed result. A lot of people were disappointed in the guidance for 2023. Um, uh, they are guiding for 50,000 deliveries. So there was a story that came out today where they told employees that they can actually do 60, 62, something like that. But the official guidance is 50,000. And uh, look, um, a lot of people saw some like improvements and whatnot. I have to say personally, I'm still I focusing on the main thing, which is like they need to achieve a positive gross margin. And there has been a small improvement on that. They basically went for like 2.9 times uh, the cost to revenue of building a car to 2.5. Uh, 2.5 is still a lot. Like if they yeah. sell a car for $100,000, it cost them $250,000 to make it. That's just, that's not sustainable. Now, I know everyone is like, all right, it's now they, they still have a lot of money in the bank. They still have a lot of uh, room to achieve that. And that's true. I think they have like, but that's true. But the cash on end is going down fast. I think they are now at 12 billion. Do we have that? Yeah, yeah 12 billion. Yeah, 12 billion on end, which is, which just, it sounds like a lot, but it was like 18 billion, just a few, <laughs> just not that yeah. long ago. Uh, Cause it goes down fast. Yeah. You don't, and generally you don't want to run out of money. Like you don't want to be at that point. Yeah. It, they, they are making some progress though. And they did have uh 2024 as the time when they're going to break even and start theoretically making money on, on their vehicles. Yeah, that's what they say, though. But like, I'm trying to see a path to that, and it, it is just hard right now to see that path. There, there was some like encouraging front outside of the actual gross margin on the car, where you, you look at uh, uh, research and development cost and uh, selling in general administrative costs, like just the general operating expenses, rather than the actual cost of building the products. Those have went down significantly, so they are losing a little bit less cash uh, every quarter on that front, but the product is really like the manufacturing is the hard thing when it comes to electric vehicles or any vehicles really, but especially electric vehicles, if you want to achieve it in volumes, there's just not that many companies out there that are producing electric vehicles in high volume. Rivian is one of them, relatively high volume, but they are losing so much money on it. And it's still the case. They brought in $663 million in revenue from selling, uh, it was uh, I think 10,000 or so vehicles a quarter. And it cost them 1.6 billions to 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 build them. So 2.5 times what what they're selling them for. Not good. A little bit better, but I just don't see how like within a year can they really bring that to a positive gross margin? 
where we need to see like big jumps every quarter, like bigger than what we've seen from the last quarter. And the last quarter, it was there was a big jump in production we would thought would help. Uh, and then in the next few quarters, the jump in production are not going to be super big if uh, they aim to be producing 50,000 cars um, by the end of the year. That's 1,250, uh, 500 a quarter. Uh, no, uh, no, a little bit more than that. Uh, yeah, a little bit more than that. Like, but still, it's not it's not a big jump from what they're already producing right now. So they're going to have to find improvements outside of economies of scale. So that it's not easy to do. Yeah, and they have two other problems to to deal with. They have the Kia EV9 coming out soon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the people on their wait list might jump over to that. And then, of course, Volkswagen Scout brand is going to be coming in 2025. I'm sure they're going to start showing those off and getting people excited about that. So the time for Rivian to kind of get their, you know, their things in order is probably really soon. And, uh, you know, this Max Pack is something that's kind of interesting uh, as somebody who's waiting on a, a R1S. That I'm kind of tempted to get the 390 mile uh, thing, but you you have to give up the four motor option to do so. And I, I wonder what the price, you know, for the the bigger range and the fewer motors is going to be. So there's some interesting things happening, but you know we really want to see that you know cost per vehicle to go way down. Yeah, they haven't announced the pricing on that max new max pack. No. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're going to be towing things with it and whatnot, it's, it can be useful. Yeah. Is it not backing? Okay. All right. Uh, speaking of the EV9, that's the last post for today. So after that, we're going to take your questions. If you guys have any questions, put them in the comment section right now. Uh, you can ask us about specific subjects that we discussed today or subjects about uh, the EV world that you want us to get into. I think we already have a ton of questions today, though, but uh, maybe we have time to take a few more. So um, you can put them in the comment section right now. So, yeah, the EV6, there was this new teaser these uh, you, that uh, give us, like, a better look a little bit. at EV9. Uh, uh, EV9, you're right. Sorry. And I make that same mistake a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, silhouette. So it's not... You know, a great look at the car, but it, it looks like it's going to be a sharp-looking vehicle. Like you're, you're right that the, the Rivian R1S has uh, maybe something to worry about a little bit because it is uh, like Kia has never been seen as the super like premium brand, but um, they're with their EVs. They're start like the EV6 is I think yep. it's a solid-looking car, and uh, if they can replicate that in a large SUV format, uh, I mean, I think this looks better. Like again. Not a great look, but uh, I think this looks better than I can escalate right now or something. I agree. And, you know, we kind of give Kia, when we saw the EV9 prototype, we're like, they're never going to make anything that looks like that. And it doesn't look exactly like the prototype. There's definitely some, like, reality coming into here. Mm -hmm. But it still looks pretty impressive. It's not like, you know, how Nissan just kneecapped the design of the uh, Aria. And now, you know, now it looks like a leaf kind of, uh, they're not doing that. They're making it, you know, really quite, quite stunning. Yeah. I mean, I, and if the EV6 is any indication, like the, the actual production car was, was very solid too. 
All right, let's jump in the questions. Uh, Adam Wibley says, uh, do you think Model 2, which is the the lower-priced uh, Tesla, will not have autopilot? When do you think they will make a truly affordable vehicle with cloth seats, metal roof, not luxury, et cetera? Cost estimate, you think? Uh, I think all Tesla vehicles going forward is going to have autopilot or a version of self-driving, so I don't think that's uh, likely. But, yeah, everything else sounds about right. Uh, Model 2, tightly clotsy. Um, yeah, metal roof. I don't know about metal roof, just based on uh, the manufacturing technique, though. That's like Tesla is starting to get a lot of advantages out of a, of a glass roof just mm-hmm. for the manufacturing aspect. So maybe that I'm not sure. But yeah, just less luxury in general. Though I know I know that sound like a lot of people when I say that and talk about Tesla interior and I see less luxury, they're like, where are we going to? Where are they going to take the luxury from? Because <laughs> there's not that much. Personally, I like it. I like the interior of a Tesla vehicle, but yeah, I, I understand the point. All right. James Kareens says, uh, comment, refreshed Model 3 might have 48-volt architecture, new drive system, replacement of wood dashboard strip, hardware for computer, and then maybe after release, they will add headlight camera. Yeah, we didn't talk too much about the 48-volt thing, but yeah. that's that's something pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, we Tesla already indicated that I was coming. We didn't know exactly when. And again, the, what's what's kind of like Model Y was supposed to have it for a while, and then mm-hmm. they sort of scaled that back because they didn't want to invest too much in a, a, a new platform. They, they kept it closer to Model Three. Um, now, whether the Model Three is going to have it, the new version, I don't know. That's a possibility for sure. So that that's what is not as exciting about the new vehicle platform because. We, they, they're probably going to introduce this when they can uh, on new production line. Uh, it's it's not going to be like, oh, this new model has this and, and be happy with it. That's the way Tesla is. Like they, they try not to capitalize their sales too. Like if if you would know tomorrow morning that the uh, refresh model three is going to have forty eight volts, you're probably just not going to buy a model three for a while. Yep. All right, uh, spikes forty three. Why the hate for Investor Day? They did launch a supercharger V4, new revenue stream of brand agnostic charging, new factory, et cetera. I don't think we specifically had a lot of hate for Investor Day, but yeah. you know we, we've been around uh, for these kind of thing, long presentations, and we know they're not you know as super exciting as uh, car launches. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I, like, who's, who's to blame? Like, is it like all the hype around it? Like, maybe I, I don't know. Did Elon made these visual comments about it? Because Dumbledore is like, oh, it's gonna be mind blowing. So I don't know if he said that this time. I don't remember him saying that, but he did hyped it up, especially for the new vehicle platform. Like, it, the thing is, like, the new vehicle platform is not something you can see. It's not like super tangible. Like, you, you remember when Tesla unveiled like the dual motor? I think you were there. Uh, yeah. and, and there was the big robot that actually showed the vehicle platform with the dual motors like that, that stuff gets people excited. Like now all the improvement on this thing where it's manufacturing logistics and all that. So it's, it's not as exciting. Um, especially to like the lay people, like mm-hmm. the people who aren't really like thinking about production and costs. I mean, this was aimed at, you know, analysts and investors not 
fans. So, but investors were not really necessarily happy because the stock did drop significantly after it. Right, it came back up today, but uh, you can like the whole market is super up today. So I don't know how much you can put. Like, it's not like it's just coming back or anything. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's it's always like that though. You know, buy the announcement, sell the news. So it's uh, or buy, buy buy the rumors, sell the news, whatever it is. Yeah. All right, shifting gears a little bit, uh, Vince asks, what are your thoughts on getting a used Bolt versus new? Since new ones are hard to find without crazy markups, aren't the used ones almost as good since they have new batteries after the recall? Um, yeah, I guess that's that's true. Um, but the new ones are so inexpensive. Like, you know, start at 25000 and you get, you know, uh, for the rest of the month, you get 7500 back. It's crazy. Like, you know, get an $18,000 uh, really solid EV. Um, but they're, because of that, they're really hard to find. So, uh, if you can't find a, a new one, you know, a used one with a replaced battery is going to be pretty good too. Uh, anything to add there? I mean, if you can get your hands on one, go for it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Robert Gresham question. Is it me or did you sense some tension between Elon and Drew Baglino? <sighs> During the Investor Day presentation, almost like Drew is trying to upstage Elon. Ooh. Oh, my God. <laughs> I won't get into these kind of gossips. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, love the show. Shop. Shop. Show. Whatever. <laughs> thank you. Close enough. Uh, Mark Webb. Uh, didn't Drew say that Tesla would implement bidirectional charging within two years? And then Elon undercut that by saying he didn't think vehicle to home makes sense and gave a nonsensical reason. Yeah, we kind of went into that. I, I don't. Yeah. It's, I don't think like Drew was like, "Yeah, we, we're going to do it," and then Elon like shut him down. I think it was more like, uh, "We're going to do it," like we explained because it just makes sense to have it to have the capacity in the car. Then then Elon just he didn't say like, "We're not going to do it." He just said like, "I, I he has doubt about um, useful it's going to be." And you know what? I think he's right in the sense of like the grand grand scale of things. Like if. Percentage-wise, once like all Tesla vehicles have bidirectional charging capacity, I would be very surprised as more than ten percent use it. Like, no joke. Yeah, very it's probably true. Um, it might be better if uh, they could add that into their their grid stuff or something. Maybe if Tesla could you know use their energy yeah. uh, prowess to kind of harvest that. All right, Mark Webb, uh, it would also be useful if all calls supported a common wireless standard uh, to avoid Rivian's blocking two Tesla supercharger stalls. Yeah, I mean, you could also standardize the placement of the, the charging thing. I feel like that's something we could probably think about. But just just with the heights, like I, I think, yeah, you can be like super efficient with inductive charging, but you need to be like very close if it's not like right. an inch or, or, or two. So just with the height of the car, the pad where it's located... Like that's going to be so hard to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe, with maybe the, pad, the pad pops up or something. I don't know. The pad pops up. I, I know like the buses, what they do, like the, a lot of places that have inductive charging for electric buses, the the charging connector like goes down and t- like they're they at the top, they're on the roof of the, of the, of the buses instead of being at the bottom. And they are like charging a bus stop and then it comes up and like it comes down on it. So yeah. if you have something similar from the bottom that could I don't know. yeah also a little safer i guess on the top for those huge uh power outputs of the buzzes 
Yeah. All right. Here's something we didn't think of. Uh, Wireless takes care of the getting out of your car to unplug the cable at the charging station in a dark garage with a creepy dude approaching you issue. So I know, you know, you know, charging in the middle of the night. I've never had that happen. Yeah. I've never had that happen, but I could see how it could be a problem. You remember, it just reminded me, you remember that crazy video? Uh, It's been a while ago. I think it's, I think it's right around when Century Mode, <clears throat> when Sentry Mode started, and you had this guy that was actually attacked at a supercharged station, and the whole thing was captured on Sentry Mode. Like the guy tried to jack, uh, I uh, carjack him, but he was high on something or whatever. Oh, right. Like yeah, it, 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 went, weird. it went terribly wrong and chased <laughs> him away. All right, Rick Skinta, I disagree. I totally use, I'd totally use the battery backup, and so would ten percent of other people. Yeah, <laughs> some, some people it makes sense for them. I, I agree. Pay twenty three k after incentives for two power walls for emergency, or use my huge car battery to help out in the rare occurrence. It's power, it's power sales concerns and power wall sales. Concerns. Yeah, but that, so that, that's the thing. There's so for you it makes a ton of sense because you did buy the power walls for backup power, but at most people. They don't do it for that. Like it's not the biggest market. It, 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 some people do it for sure. If you want to do a generator, uh, it makes more sense to go with a power wall. The cost can be a little bit different, but still. But I think most people buy it like to combine it with a solar system. All right, uh, Sly says Elon doesn't believe in it. Needs it because he's not connected to real life usage. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think he's still right to a degree. Elon's argument against vehicle-to-home was that if you had an outage, you couldn't drive your car without losing power to your house. Very illogical explanation point. If your car has no vehicle-to-home capability, then lose power regardless. So Again, we're still on that, but Elon is looking at it from like, he looks at the power wall. Like what, so basically, if you are, have bidirectional charging on your car, it's like you have a home battery pack. Everyone is, agrees on that. A mobile home battery pack with a lot more capacity, sure. But it's still that. And then you look at the power wall, which is the most popular home battery pack out there. And you look at the use cases of like why people buy them. And Elon looks at it. It's like most people buy them for time of use, a benefit combined with the solar system. That's the primary use of it. Most people, and again, I'm not arguing that there's no case. I'm one of them. I have power walls at home and I don't have a solar system. I use them for backup power. So I'm one of them. Like it would make sense for me. Uh, But I know it's not most people. That, that's it. But if you are one of those persons like me, then yeah, it, may, it makes sense. Yeah, more people chiming in. Uh, if power goes out, that means an ice storm or hurricane, and I'm not leaving the house during that. You know, like, and when you do leave the house, you can just unplug, I guess. I get, you know, there's there's arguments for and against, but, you know, I think the option is would be would be nice. All right, let's move on to some other stuff here. Uh, free overnight charging and oh, we're still on bidirectional. Our so opens a business are opportunity. Fa- like it's fascinating about that stuff. Like it's it's crazy. Yeah. Charge at night and then pump I'm up. I'm really other curious to see how, how it's going to pick up because the hype around yeah. it is so huge. Yeah, I just I just like it as like knowing I can power my house from it, like or you know just not even your house, just like the refrigerator and some lights and some internet. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Mark's, uh, I think people would be willing to pay a one-time fee to enable vehicle to home. Uh, if we don't believe in the FSD fever dream, so we know where this guy stands already, 
Doesn't the higher utilization of car batteries via backup peak shaving make perfect economic sense? Oh, wait a minute. I need to read that question one more time. I don't think one has to do with the other, but here, here's a little explanation. You have a high cycle life, million mile battery or LFP, then you can actually, you actually want to use those cycles over a shorter life to accelerate the usage payback of the battery. So he's saying that because, so forget about the fever dream. Uh, he's saying that with the new batteries that can go a million miles, you actually want to use the cycles and, and get money back from them by. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I mean, it's a quicker return on investment, so you need to have a use case for for, for it. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, FSD would provide a faster use case. So I don't know where he was going with that. Like he says, he says basically yeah, the million the million miles battery is going to be useless because you, FSD is not going to happen. Is that? I is guess. That no, yeah. I get. I understand where he's going with this. I guess. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on, uh, MJ42 Kramer. Those are not as ugly as the USPS EV mail trucks. We're talking about the Ford uh, e-transit. Mm-hmm. Were those not real? It, You know what? I wasn't sure they were real either, but at CES, they had they, they had, had one there. Yeah. And uh, I got in it, and it's real. And actually, utility-wise, it makes sense, Like, but it just it's ugly as heck. Like there was clearly nobody designing that thing. Yeah, that that front end is just. It looks like the thing that like Homer Simpson, yeah, you know, (laughs) built. All right, uh, let's see. Is Tesla able to shift demand from Model Three to Model Y? How good is looking at delivery times as a way to evaluate demand for different models? Yeah, so they they raise the price of Model Three quicker than they've done Model Y. So I don't I don't know if that. I don't know what that means. No, for Model Y prices, since the big drop in January, Model Y prices kept going up and Model 3 prices kept going down. Oh, okay. Uh, so how good is looking at delivery times? So if you elevate demand for different, it is pretty good. Um, as long as you take it outside of the delivery cycles that goes out throughout the quarter in each market, if you just look at an acceleration or a deceleration of that, that's where it's useful. Um Easily able to shift demand from all three model Y. I think that's happening. I think uh, I, I think demand is now higher from model Y than model three in most sure. places. In most uh, globally, obviously in the U.S. it's a little bit different because we still don't have good access to a cheaper model Y. There's a standard range like the structural battery pack out of out of Texas that uh, you can buy on, on inventory. But once Tesla actually pulls the trigger on a standard range model Y be able to order in the U S I think it's going to be the best seller by far. All right. Uh, Sly, another small car that is not coming over here to North America is the Honda E a little bit excited, uh, a little bit less excited about that one. Though. Yeah. But, and I guess you can kind of get the mini. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the mini is a good, idea. yeah, a good compromise. Uh, here's a good question. Do you have new hair glasses? I wonder if he's talking to you or me, though. I have. Uh, it's not new glasses, but I lost during my trip. I lost my usual ones. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so I, I'm, I, I'm using different glasses right now. New hair, yeah. I mean, I'm in. I've been in Mexico for three weeks, and I just I haven't shaved. I haven't cut my hair. I haven't shaved anything. I'm just. I'm trying to become Tarzan around here in the jungle. Nice. 
All right, uh, getting toward the end here. Uh, when do you think the first production car will roll off the assembly line in Giga Mexico? What do you think the planned annual output would be? I think we saw something today where they were going to try to beat the Shanghai record of what nine months or six months or whatever. Yeah, nine months of uh, breaking ground. I don't know when they're going to break ground. I would assume relatively soon. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a real possibility that would be like by the end of the year, early next year. And then the plan output, uh, they said a million uh, vehicle, which uh, makes makes sense because of like the new production process is dense. Like you don't need as much volume, space floor, and all things like that. Here's an interesting uh, point of view from our own Mikey G, uh, who's got a great podcast. You guys should listen to it. Yeah, uh, it seems to me that uh, one purpose of the Investor Day was to downplay Elon Musk's importance at Tesla. It looked overt that Tesla Inc. wanted to rein in Musk and showcase the rest of the talented team. You know, I didn't get that initially, but like now that I think about it, it was pretty like it was like, hey, there's a, quite a few people here running the show. It's not just Elon. I mean, they have done that another day, like whatever they want to call them, like the AI day, battery day. They had showcased other uh, executive. But yeah, I would agree that uh, this one was like uh, a little bit more extensive. Like Elon basically didn't do much uh, other than a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. So uh, yeah, I can, I, can, I can see that. Uh, Jung Will says, did you see the State of Charge YouTube channel charging the lightning on the supercharger, the cable? So, yeah, it's yeah. literally too yeah. short to charge the F-150 without breaking the cable or the stall. I didn't uh, see that. We're, we're fans of Tom. Uh, what are you going to do? I mean, do? you can, you you can gonna... still park. You have to, to just park into like basically take three stall. Then, then you can right, or use. park on the end. And theoretically, yeah. most of the chargers have one of those like side chargers. You could use one of those. I don't know. Maybe they'll make a uh, CCS extender cable or something. Ford, I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Ford did something like that. All right, uh, we're getting toward the end. Oh, actually, we're not. There's a lot more. Yeah, there's a lot All of right. questions today. Uh, right, question, no, do you more, think Tesla will leave the original models S and X out of some of the tech improvements mentioned, such as 48-volt battery, 4680 battery, structural battery pack? Yeah, I mean, Elon basically confirmed that during the, the, the presentation. He was very adamant that bringing those significant changes, improvements, you need to shut down the production lines and you just don't want to do that. So. All right, here's an interesting uh, question. Today, Fisker had a ship of some oceans arrive. Heard EPA maybe 360 miles. Any change of thoughts? Uh, good for them, Magna. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm not a big fan of Fisker. Like, uh, I just, uh, not, not a lot of hope for them surviving this, this, this landscape yeah. right now, but we'll see. But Magna's building them, and we know Magna can build them. So yeah, we'll can, can they can they build them profitably? Though we'll see. Yeah, who's going to fix them and all that? Yeah. James Corrine's uh, question: When are they going to introduce new paint colors at Giga Texas? Well, we we did see that they had new colors there, so not too far yeah. from that. Probably. I had a few sources uh, on that. Like they were like super excited at Tesla. Like I, we have uh, Quicksilver and um, and uh, Cher- Cherry Red is the other one. Uh, at the event and everything, but like everyone was asking them, like, "Hey, is, does that mean that you're bringing them to North America?" It's like, "No, this is this is for Investor Day. <laughs> this is for Investor Day." They keep saying that, so like, 
Where yeah. to for some new colors? All right, Paul, Long Ranger. Uh, question, are the Tesla chargers going to be limited to cars that can fast charge or are going to be waiting an hour and a half for the bolts to charge? Well, clearly, uh, we showed that the bolt was working. Uh, yeah. So they're not limiting it. No. Um, so. But again, I have the suspicion that they're only releasing these magic docks at stations that are not that popular. Uh, if someone can challenge me on that, do it. Like I'm, I, I'm not as familiar with the two stations in California where they also open. Maybe those are more popular. I don't know. Yeah, the one in Brewster is like ghost town. Dead, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. We're pretty close to the end here. Uh, Rick Sinta, I agree with Mikey G for sure. It felt like Elon asked Drew to speak more. Uh, Stu, question, when are your thoughts on the rate of lithium mining growth compared to the rate of EV growth? Yeah, we, uh, well, the mining is one thing and the processing uh, of the ore is another. So it's uh, it's good business. It's a good business to get into because we do need a lot more of it right now. Uh, the, the rate, though, seems to be catching up to EV growth. Um, that, that might that doesn't mean that it's going to stay the same going forward, but uh, I'm optimistic about it. Uh, just like Elon said during the call, too, uh, nickel is a bigger concern right now for myself and most people, I think. Yeah. All right. Kind of a long-winded here. The main obstacle to vehicle to X is actual charger availability. Excited for Enphase's solution, which is a, a solar inverter company, which will hopefully be affordable and integrate easily well with their solar offerings can't wait till vehicle to x combines with inducted charging and a virtual power plant what a dream just pull into your normal spot and auto auto bidding starts wirelessly exactly uh, yeah i mean enphase and um solar edge and all these power electronics um manufacturer related solar that the, it makes the most sense for them to get involved in that in that process all right rick Sintas just list just off the call with fisker and they are guiding for profit for year one. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Good. I wish them the best of luck, honestly. All right, question. Any thoughts? This is the last one Whoa. on Rivian's quarterly results. Uh, Vikas, go back into the uh, yeah. podcast a little bit. We, we talked about it quite extensively. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this show this week. A lot of questions. We appreciate your question. We, uh, we went a little bit long, but it was worth it, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. If you are listening right now still to the show, we appreciate you. If you can give us a thumbs up on whatever app you're listening to right now and a subscribe, uh, that would be, uh, we would be extremely grateful. If you're listening on audio only in the podcast app the next day, I hope you're having a great weekend. And if you can give us a five-star review on whatever app you're listening to, that would also be tremendously helpful. We appreciate every single one of you. And we're going to see you same time, same place next week. Have a good one.